To open, let's read Psalm 104. If you would like to turn there, I won't be reading the whole thing, but we'll start with the psalm of praise to God. It starts, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you have appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so they may not again cover the earth. You made springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen the man's hearts. This is the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now I think to open up this, ser- this series on creation, it'd be important to look at why we should, and in my opinion, need to study creation. We'll spend some time looking at, at why we as Christians should be well-versed in God's account of creation. And also why it is under such heavy attack in today's day and age. Today I'll take us through the first six days of creation. Next week we'll look at the flood, pre-flood conditions, what happened during the flood, post-flood conditions, and then finally in the last week we'll look at evolution and what the world says about creation. Now, I think the primary reason to search and seek understanding of God's creation account is because, for one, it is scripture. It's a profitable endeavor to search God's word. Furthermore, to understand creation itself, the created order around us will daily grow us in our adoration of God. As we even read in the psalm that I opened with, we saw the psalmist praising and blessing God when he looked at all the parts of the earth. And if we look at a few other places in psalms, we see the praise of God rooted in creation. I'll just list off a few. To start Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Another which many of us have probably heard from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Again, Psalm 104, like I just read, is littered with observations. As he finishes with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And lastly, to finish off this very short, shortened list, in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now I encourage you to take time on your own. Look through all of the Psalms. Look how many times the psalmist praises God because of his adoration of creation when he looks at creation and praises God for it. Now, then we ourselves can do the same thing when we're out in nature, it's a blessing to be in Colorado, look at the mountains, and praise God for his majesty. I find myself doing this very often when I'm outside, either on a run, walking, when I can look at God's creation, the simplest of things, a tree, or the grandest of things, the mountains and the sky, and praise God and worship him for how great he is. Now, 
Another reason I want to give for studying this topic in depth is that it's the foundation of our faith. Creation is the first thing that happened in history, and it's how, it is how God chose to start his revelation towards us. Everything in Christianity can be sourced back to the first few chapters in Genesis. Ken Ham, for example, likes to set Genesis chapters 1 through 11 as the foundation for the entire Christian worldview. Every doctrine, principle, and even the gospel can be related back to these first few chapters in Genesis. We see the gospel in Genesis 3, the fall of man and God's promise to redeem humanity. We see God setting the rules down for the earth because he is the one who has made it and formed it. When we look around and see our country, we see how deteriorated it has come, how far it has drifted away from our God. We sometimes ask how we got here. Why does, why does our nation think that boys can become girls and girls can become boys? Why does it see male headship as so offensive? Why does it think the thought of a just and righteous God as repulsive? The answer is simple. They deny Genesis. They deny that God has created the earth and that he has set the rules for how things are to work. It is important that we do not have a weak faith or raise our kids with a faith that can be toppled by someone wise in their own eyes who can make evolution sound like the ultimate tool to disprove the existence of God. We must be founded strongly in what creation is. And lastly, I think it is an enjoyable subject. I personally find it fun to look at creation, to see what God has done, how he has put it into place, how he has commanded it to operate. I could spend hours reading, listening to different things, watching things on creation, explaining it, explaining the world and science, and I have spent many, many hours doing this. And one final note before we get into why the world attacks this doctrine is the knowledge of creation is a great tool in the apologist's tool belt, but it cannot save anyone. I have not had anyone whom I have talked to change their life and submit to Jesus as Lord because I have simply convinced them that creation is true. Rather, we should use people's interest in the origin of the universe to fast-track to the gospel. That is what saves souls, not creation. I know it's very delightful to talk with out upon hours and hours with people about the evidences for creation versus the evidences for evolution. But if the conversation never arrives at the gospel, then what profit is there? So use this knowledge of creation that I will teach you to brush off the attacks of evolution, put them aside, but know that that should not be the main goal of our conversations. We should not be just trying to convince people of a six-day creation. We should use our knowledge of creation in light and against evolution to fast-track people to the gospel, which saves sinners. Now next, I'd like to touch on why this doctrine seems to be under such heavy attack in our age. First, I want to say this is not a new challenge to Christians. Rather, it's just manifested itself in a different way by the so-called scientists of the day in humanistic thinking. Now, I don't think that people long ago thought the world somehow came out of nothing over the course of billions of years, but many would have attributed the creation of the world to a different God or many gods, obviously not the God of the Bible. We look in the New Testament epistles, we see the writers defend God's creation. We see attacks on creation. We see Paul in Colossians and other places condemn asceticism, which is the thought that all physical things, even our bodies, are bad. 
like in Colossians 2 where Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Now you may ask, what does this have to do with creation? What does asceticism have to do with creation? Well, if God is the creator and he has declared his creation to be good, then why should we deny what God has said to be good? That is simply what the the ascetics did in Paul's time. They denied God's creation as being good, so they put it off. That goes back to Genesis. In Peter's second epistle, he mentions scoffers and false teachers who come questioning the Lord's promises because they claim all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter reveals what is at the heart of everyone who denies God as creator. The same God who made the heavens and the earth will judge the world and condemn the ungodly. This is the heart of the issue. People will cling to anything other than the biblical account of creation because God has declared the end from the beginning, like it is said in Isaiah 46.10. So if we think, look into the mind of man for a second. As a sinful man, we hate God and we hate his rules. And what comes with rules is judgment. No one is concerned about laws which carry no punishment. So, with the fear of this judgment, man seeks to deny in some way the one who judges, the one who has declared and makes judgment. So, if the one who has made the judgments has declared the end from the beginning, well, all we need to do is change the beginning to ignore the judgments. So, man applauds himself, thinking he has removed the heavy restraints of God through billions and billions and millions of years of evolution and millions of government funding. Now, it doesn't have to go that far necessarily to deny God outright, but even just changing small things, like questioning who God really is, or did he really say that, or is this part literal? Now, God has been formed and fashioned in our own minds by changing these small parts about the creation. This God now serves us in our wants. This is why creation is so foundational. If we change creation, change the beginning, then ultimately what's stopping us from changing the end. So, with this in mind, let's now turn to Genesis 1 and look in depth at the creation accounts. Starting in Genesis 1, verse 1, we'll look at the first day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So as we start, so that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. So I'll come over here. Our first day, we have the earth. There is no way for me to draw it. It is formless and without void. Even scribbles do not fully encapsulate what this is. When we look at this first, we see three things in it. We see space that has been created for God to make the heavens and the earth. We see the matter which make up the heavens and the earth, and we see time being formed, the beginning. Now, these are three things which bound all man, all men. Time, no man is outside of time. We're all constrained by time. Space, we're all constrained within space. We cannot be in two places at once, and matter also confines us. We're made up of material beings. That is why my hand cannot pass through this whiteboard. It gets stopped because of the matter that confines me. But God is not confined by time, space, or matter. These are three things which he created and which he is above. 
So now let's go on to the second day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So on our second day, we see God creating the waters. There are waters here. And then there is some expanse. And there's waters above the expanse and below the expanse that we see here. This is important for the following days, which reference these two waters. And God has separated them, made them different. And this heaven, which can be understood as the sky where the stars are, even though the stars have not been made yet here, but there is some separation between two waters that we see in this second day of creation. Now we go on to the third day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So if we go on here, we see these waters that are under the expanse have all been gathered into one place. And then we see the land being formed on the water as the water subsides here. So we have some earth formation here. He calls the dry, the land that appeared, he called that earth. Now we have the waters gathered and the earth formed, but their waters are still above the expanse, still above the heavens in this case here. So let's remember that as we move forward. As we look in at the fourth, at the th- yeah, at the fourth day, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. So now we see, sorry, I got those mixed up. Those should be on the same day. Put those together. On the third day, now we see plants emerging. We see trees here, other types of vegetation. I know I have lovely drawing skills. Here, we see plants and vegetation being made on the earth. The important thing to note from these verses is that each made forth according to its kind. We'll note that later as we continue on the other animals. Now for the fourth day, God said, let, the li- let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So now this fourth day, we see stars getting created, lights in the expanse. We see the sun being made to declare the day from the night. And these are made as markers for the seasons and the time 
which God has already set in place. So now let's continue on to the fifth day. God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sky creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there is evening and there is morning the fifth day. So now on the fifth day we see God creating animals. He creates the animals that occupy the oceans. You see the fish in the sea here. All the great sea beasts that existed, as well as the winged birds of the sky that ruled the sky. Again, each going forth, making, filling the waters after their own kind. Now lastly, as we come to the sixth day, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the first part of day six, we see animals being made, both beasts, critters, and livestock. I'm not going to try to draw animals, so you'll get a nice fifth grade drawing of uh, whatever you want that animal to be. That is an animal. It's important to separate that. As we continue, God then said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and all over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything, and he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So now we see God create man. And man here is separate from animals, from the beasts of the land. This is important because in today, in science, evolution, they'll teach that, well, we all have one common ancestor. They split us up into different categories for sea animals, bird creatures, and land creatures, and they classify humans as a subcategory of mammals. Now, this is completely opposite from what we see in the text. We see God creating the land animals, the beasts, the livestock, the creeping critters, and man as separate and above the rest of creation. This is a major difference and something that changes what the evolutionists would say, saying that we are just like the beasts, that we're just a different subsect of mammals. So as we have our six days laid out of physical creation, we had day one where the earth was formless and void. Then we had the waters, the waters below the expanse and the waters above the expanse, and the waters below were formed into one place and the dry land was made upon it, while the waters above the expanse are still there. And we have vegetation and everything that is green on the earth 
bringing forth after its own kind. Then we see the sun, the moon, the stars to indicate the days which our God has ordained. Then the sea creatures and the birds of the sky. And lastly, the animals of the land, the livestock, the creatures, and the beasts, and then man. Now there's many, there's a few different interpretations that people will claim trying to hold, say that, oh, well, the Bible's still true, but they interpret this not literally. The first one I will address is the gap theory, which says that there's a gap between Genesis 1, verse 2, and Genesis 1, verse 3. They say that, well, the earth was formless and void, and then there were millions and maybe billions of years in between verses 1 and verse, or verse 2 and verse 3 to account for what scientists say how old the earth is. Now, there's a few problems with that. First off, there's nothing in the text that indicates that. The only way you could come to that conclusion would be by the world and secular men saying such a thing and then trying to conform and twist the word of God to meet that. As well, scientifically, the scientists say that, oh, well, we have evidence based on the fossil record, the layers of the earth for multiple different ages and millions of years. So if the gap theorist says that there was just time in between verses 2 and 3, well, where is where that doesn't account for any of the evidence? You still have an earth that is roughly 6,000-year-old starting with Adam. So they would say that, well, God had a few tries. He made a few different earths over those billions and millions of years to try to execute his plan perfectly. So then I ask you, what God? Is that the God of the Bible? Does the God of the Bible need do-overs and second chances? Does he need to make the earth and then destroy it and make it again and destroy it again for him to execute his plan perfectly? Whereas he set Christ's blood, the death, and resurrection before the foundations of the world. Has this all been established beforehand? So, the gap theorist does not hold to what the Bible says. They let the pressures of the world and the secular humanists influence and pressure them into conforming the word of God to what man says. Now next, I'll, let's look at the day-age theory, which bases its, they try to make their basis from scripture, saying, well, in Second Peter, he says that one day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is as one day, so we can't take these days literally, can we? And they try to use that to account and conform to what the world would say how old the earth is. But if we look here, the Hebrew word used for day can mean different meanings. It can mean long periods of time or ages or even just the physical day when it's light outside. But when this day is being paired with evening and then morning, the first day, the second day, so on and so forth, it is very clear that this is one physical day. For God is the one who made the beginning, he set up how long a day is, and he has just given us the sun and the stars in day four to indicate and be signs to us for the seasons and days and years. Now lastly, you have the framework theory, which says that all of creation is just one big analogy. That's oh, it's just a nice, beautiful story. Some would even say that Genesis 1, 2, and 3, none of it's literal. I've heard some say that Adam was not a physical, literal man, but rather just some representation, some imagery to use. Again, I don't see that in the text. It's not clear that this would be anything but literal. So they try to use this to say that, again, that this wasn't a literal creation, rather. It just was a story 
made to help push forward the Bible. But then where does that stop? Where does the analogy end? If Adam wasn't a real man, then is God's promise that Adam's seed, the seed of the woman, will save the earth? Is that literal or is that non-literal? How far does that extend until we can, until the whole Bible is concluded as being up to our own interpretation, made in our own image? So again, we see that they have again conformed to the pressures of the world, the pressures of the, of the humanists and the seculars saying that the world must be millions and billions of years old rather than holding true to what the word says. And one last note as we, get, as we start to close here. When the Bible says the second day, the first day, these are, that's the ESV translation of it, and some, the more literal translation from the Hebrew would be one day or two days. And this indicates that this was the first day in existence. The first day in creation was here in all of these first six days, where these are the first six days of existence. Some translations have rendered it to be a day or one day out of many or a second day, which conforms to these other interpretations of the Bible not being literal. But we should hold true to what the original text, to what Moses was writing when he said that it was the first day, that it was one day or the second day, the third day, and so on and so forth. Now lastly, I'll I'll briefly touch on what the evolutionist would say and how the Bible in Genesis 1 screams in the face of what the evolution theory is, or rather it should be the atheist and what he screams back to God, trying to change the beginning so that he does not have to conform to judgment in the end. The evolutionists say that the world came from something, a small speck, minuscule, and it was before time, so we don't know where the time came from, we don't know where the space that this thing came from, or the matter where that came from, either. So this all exploded into one to make our entire universe, and they somewhat follow this order, but not entirely. They say, yes, there was some waters, somehow this explosion happened, which created something, some rock formations, then there were waters on the earth, and then you had rain come down on the earth, and then there was some organic material that somehow slowly became life, that then somehow became fish first, that's saying our ancestors were fish to a degree. Then through slow, minute mutations, it slowly, over time, crept up onto the land and then into the sky. We see what the Bible describes as vegetation being made, the sun and the stars being made, and then the fish and the birds being made at the same time. And again, each producing after its own kind. There is no room for for extreme mutations for different species, from cats coming from dogs, for land animals to be coming from fish ancestors, as the world would say, through small, minute evolutionary changes, through mutations in the genes and the cells. But we see fish get made, birds get made at the same time, and then all the beasts of the field, the beasts, the livestock, and the creeping things, made at the same time, producing after its own kind, and then man separates from that. So again, all of it, even though they try to vaguely follow it by saying that the waters came first and then life came, God makes it clear that he created all the creatures on their day separately to make after their 
own kind. Now, lastly, I'd like to finish with what that God says at the end of chapter one, where he says, behold, it was very good. Now, this will lead into next week when we get talking about the pre-flood conditions, the flood and post-flood conditions. But we see here that it was very good. That means everything that existed was good. Down to the creatures, the humans, down to our very DNA. Now, most death from old age, most genetic diseases can be rooted down to our DNA. Malfunctions in the DNA, the DNA doesn't copy itself right, doesn't transcribe itself right. Something messes up in our own DNA, which causes cancer, which causes diseases. But before the fall, in creation, God said it was very good. Everything in creation was very good. So that will lead in to next week when we look at the flood, we look at these pre-flood conditions. But I'll close with this. Do you believe this? Do you hold the literal creation to be true? Do you hold that the God who has declared the end from the beginning, that this is the beginning that he has declared? Or have you maybe tried to shape your own beginning, your own God, so that you can declare what the end is, that your judgments will be the final judgment. You don't have to stand under the judgment of God. If so, I ask and plead you to cling to the God that has created the earth. Cling to the God that has judgment coming, that has a day appointed for judgment. May our escape from his judgment not be of our own works, but be of Christ and his blood on the cross that can save us from the God who has created the earth and will again come to destroy the earth. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the time you have given us tonight, Lord. I pray that this may have been glorifying to you, Lord. I pray that we may look at your creation and praise you for the great creation which you have made, Lord. May we cling close and strongly to your scripture, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.